0: Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Okay, so we, uh, if you're joining us uh, today, if you're a guest, sort of doing something a little different, We've been in a series, a long series, in a, in the book of Mark, and now we are just we are teasing out our vision and trying to understand discipleship a little bit, and so things are a little bit uh, different. We're not in one particular book. We're sort of moving around. Although I'm finding myself getting a little bit uh, hanging out in First John. That's where we are right now. We're talking about our missions, our vision statement which reads like this, to be a church where every person has an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to eternal living now so that, so eternal life results in God's will and ways being carried out in your everyday life, community, and world. Right, so that's what we're discussing. Uh, and essentially what we're saying is, is if you know Jesus, if you're following Jesus, then he's leading you, or maybe it's better to say he's schooling you in eternal living now. That means your ordinary life, your ordinary life takes on the quality of eternity. That's what discipleship is. And we've been discussing around here that a lot of people have come to Christ, but, or they think they've come to Christ, but there's no discipleship, They're sort of waiting until heaven to be spiritual. Sort of like the single guy waiting to settle down. You know, the single, guy, he, the single woman is waiting to settle down, and I'll, I'll have kids, and then I'll, I'll get responsible, and then I'll get maybe moral, and then I'll get all these other kind of things happen. And you're sort of doing that spiritually. And uh, it really it doesn't happen that way. Because eternal life is not something you wait to get. Eternal life is is in the Son. It's in Jesus Christ. And when you have Him, you already have it. And if you already have it, then your life ought to start to look like it. That's what we have been saying all along. So if you're not comfortable, think about heaven being the center, or in heaven, in eternity. Jesus will be at the center of it. And so if you're not happy with Jesus at the center of your life now, like if that's not, if, if you're uncomfortable with that, then you likely won't be comfortable in eternity when he's the center of everything there. And that's a great question to ask. Will I be comfortable in heaven when my whole life is centered around him? When I literally can't see a thing other than through him? Because that's what eternity will be like? It's a great question. And we talked about C.S. Lewis last week in his, in his Four Loves, the last chapter of his book, The Four Loves, where he says heaven has a certain character to it. And if, you, if that character isn't being developed in you, you won't be suited for that reality. So uh, we're looking at eternal life, as being something we should be fleshing out in our world now, and John has told us. John has told us we can be confident of it. This is the testimony, John says. I mean, let let us tell you what we've been telling you. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. The one who has the son has eternal life. The one who does not have the son does not have eternal life. Don't play any games. John plays no games, by the way. He's got five chapters of solid no game playing. All right, black and white. Here's what he says I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be confident that you have it right now. You're not waiting to get it, you're not waiting to see, you're not trying, you're not hoping. He wants us to be confident that we have it. Because there's a certain way a person lives if they're confident that they have eternal life flowing through their veins. And it's different than if somebody is standing around waiting to get it. So, of course, there's two different kinds of lives. So we have been asking, sort of asking the question, Well, what would it look like if the sun was the center of my life and I did have eternal life flowing through my veins? How can I know that I have it? And we haven't really discussed this, and we probably ought to at some point. Um, Because eternal life is, is, we're arguing, is ultimate reality ultimate reality. As Augustine said, it's, it's your soul finding rest in God and rest in Him alone, and it won't rest until it's in Him alone. It's, it's understanding that. Where, where life is actually done as God intended you to do it. When He made you. When you're living that when that eternal quality of life is happening in you, you're living exactly the way he wanted, he intended for you to live. And that's why when we, when we have been looking at 1 John and verse, verses 1 to 4, he says, I'm writing to these things so that our joy might be complete. John is trying to say, I'm trying to get you to a place where you understand ultimate satisfaction is only going to come through him and understanding what eternal life is. It's not going to come any other way. That's what we're talking about. Now, we have said, as we have read 1 John, these verses here, let's look at them. This is what we proclaim to you, John says, from the very beginning, from the start, What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, our hands have touched concerning the word of life, the message of eternal life, as we're going to see. The life was revealed. We saw it. It was something we could see. We could touch it. We could experience it, interact with it. And we have seen and testify and announced to you, what? This eternal life. It was with the Father And has been revealed to us and now you know he's talking about Jesus he was with the Father and he came and manifested that to us we have certainly announced to you that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ so that's essentially what eternal life is and you could see there's two pieces to it so what is eternal life and how do I know I got well there's an objective piece there's a very rational, tangible piece. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, that he was with the Father, and now he's with and been revealed to us. Well, how was he with the Father and then got revealed to us? That means God sent his son, came into flesh, came in the flesh right among us. So that's the sort of rational objective piece, and I want you to see that John actually wants to make sure that you understand this objective piece. So Christianity has sort of an objective piece, a rational piece. You've got to believe certain things. You can't believe anything. There's this As John is describing eternal life, there's rational things you have to believe. And he makes it really clear. And then in chapter four, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. How do I know if they're from God? Because there's false prophets, there's lots of voices. By this you know the Spirit of God. How do you know? Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Christ, who has, let's add this piece to it, come in the flesh is from God. In other words, whatever this life was, it showed up in the flesh. It showed up in the flesh. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is, John's not messing around when he says this is an objective, rational reality and factual. Okay? So that's the first piece. He was with the Father, and he was revealed to us in the flesh. You know, that says a lot. That says to you, eternal life came, it's packaged in a person. In relation to him, you discover eternal life. You say, so immediately you say, if I want to have eternal life and a quality, eternal, and the quality of eternal life, I have got to get connected to Jesus. I've got to know He's at the center of my life and world. He's got to be right here with me. We're going to be just teasing that out a little bit. Okay, so there's a rational piece. But then we said there's a second piece. He says, what we have seen, we already know what he has seen. Jesus. It's come from the flag. We already saw it. And heard what we have seen and heard. We announce to you so that you may have, and look what he describes. This, whatever this life is, whatever this tangible connection to Jesus is, it sort of overflows into a fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So now it's a little less... Rational, a little more mystical, relational in its dynamic. And so John is beginning to tell us what eternal life is. Uh, This is very important. I'm going to sort of draw a picture for you. So you have this uh, rational idea about who Jesus is. Okay? And then John is saying that when you grasp that eternal life has come in the flesh. It results in something. When you get that. It kind of spills over into some kind of, and we need to tease this out. And we'll do it over the next couple weeks. What is this fellowship? Some kind of fellowship this moves to. So we go from the mind, I think safe to say, to the heart. Whatever eternal life is, it's going to shift from just my brain. It can't just be something I know. It can't just be something I possess intellectually. Because it was a person, it was a life, it was a relationship. To have it is to connect to ultimate reality. It's got to flesh itself out into something real and tangible. I was reading something this week. The guy made this comment, because there's a lot of us who sort of live on this uh, I think this is the left brain side. Where we, we just want to know stuff. We love having facts. If you, if you asked me if I was a Christian, I could explain it. Is it really fleshing out in my life? I have no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. That's kind of how we are. He said this, this writer. Do you ever wonder why Western atheism is on the rise? So he said that, and, uh, and I said, oh, I'd like to know. How about you? So I'm reading it, and I go, why does the Christian West by far produce the highest number of atheists? He's got my attention. What I believe, he says, and I've dedicated my life to reversing, is that we have not moved from doctrine and dogma to the level of inner experience. As long as received teaching doesn't become experiential knowledge, we're going to continue creating a high quantity of disillusioned ex-believers. We've got a lot of those on the flip side, will manufacture very rigid believers who simply hold on to doctrines in a very dry, dead way with nothing going on inside. That is an interesting discussion. And I think he's right. I think it's very easy. And maybe it's easy in certain settings. There are certain churches, because there are some Christians, who only focus on this side. I'm reading a book right now. I told my wife after I finished it Friday, Friday morning. I said, I think I've never been more frustrated and exhilarated all at the same time. Because the guy is doctrinally challenged. And he's trying to argue for the Trinity, explain the Trinity. But he's theologically off in every single theological category that I could, could summon to my mind. But he describes this side, the mystical side, beautiful. It was exhilarating. It, was, it, it got my heart pounding. But he was wrong on this side. Can I tell you something? Christianity doesn't let you be one or the other. You don't get to be one or the other. All the other religions of the world you can be one or the other. In Christianity, you've got to be both. You have got to adhere to a certain set of rational things, and there is no ifs, ands, or buts about them. And then there is a sort of mystical experience that has to come with it. And John is trying to tease this one out. So you know, if you, I believe this then it ought to show up in my life like this. That's the fellowship side. So, let's talk about this for a minute. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, when you're not in a book and you're not going through a text, uh, I don't know how to judge how long I'm speaking anymore. Like, I can do it easier when I go, I've got to get through these four verses. Well, I don't have to get through four verses right now. So, But the problem with it is, I never know where the sermon's going to end. I never know. And so I've got like three different endings here, okay? Because I don't know where it's going to end because I never get that far because we're just sort of teasing out a text and we're chatting about it. It's kind of fun, but I feel lost a little. I don't have verses I got to get through, so we're... But I, So I want to draw you a picture. We'll just go as far as we can, and we're going to tease this out until we're done, and then we're going to go into a new series, okay? So hang in there. All right. Um, so let's see. Let's come back to our text, and let's see what he says here. So he talks about this fellowship here, and I want you to see it here because uh, I'm going to draw you a picture that's going to show this text for you. Because we need to tease this out. You may have fellowship with us. We're announcing what we have seen, this eternal life. We want you to have this eternal life. And if you're going to have it, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like a fellowship. And it's going to look like a fellowship with us. And, then it, and that fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And that is what is said right here is absolutely fantastic. you meditated on it for a while. And, and, and this, this is what you come up with. you got this Here John is going to describe eternal life, and he's going to describe it like this. Um, He's going to say, it's a fellowship that we have first. He's going to describe it in two ways. It's a fellowship we have with each other. And that fellowship, here's the other thing about it. Is with God. So when he describes eternal life, you'd think, as I was reading it, you'd think he'd say, it's a fellowship with God first. Wouldn't you have thought that? You want eternal life? It's a fellowship with God. No, this is what he does. He says, it's a fellowship with each other. And then he doesn't even say, it's a fellowship And then each of us have our own relationship to God. He doesn't say that either. He says, we have a fellowship with God. Are you watching this? So that has profound implications about what eternal life is. And I'm just going to say this to you. This is really important, and I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee you. One of the reasons discipleship falls off the radar for most of us is because when we we, we have entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something about the fact that I have not yet decided that he is the ultimate voice in my life. And I'm going to tell you that what I'm going to tell you right here, it reminds me, (laughs) this is just one of those tangents, it reminds me of my son, Nick, is taking flying lessons. And he is... uh, um, so he comes home every day. You know, you send your kid off to school. I got a kid who's, just, who's been, just been driving recently. So you send him off every morning and he's on his own. And if you're a parent, you're like, oh God, okay. help him get where he's gotta get, okay? But then I also have a son who's, goes in, who's taking, he's a pilot, he's trying to, he's being trained to be a pilot. And he's going, dad, I'm flying solo today. Oh God, he's flying. So <laughs> I got one driving, I got one flying, and it's like, I just wanna throw up, right? <laughs> So he goes out there, and, uh, and he's flying. He just got through the instrument stage, which, from what I understand, is the hardest stage. We have to learn to fly the plane with an instrument. You can't look out the window to see where you're at, what you're doing. You have to learn to fly it based on these. Well, that's, it's very difficult to do. So uh, he finished that. But during that stage came some of the greatest stories about the guy flying him and training him and teaching him what to do. And he said, there's a guy sitting in the cockpit with you, and, and Nikki calls that guy a G. He's a total G. Now, whatever a G is, you're a stud if you're a G. Okay? <laughs> God knows it could mean something really horrible, and if it does, keep it to yourself. Don't even tell me that it means something horrible. <laughs> Sometimes my kids are talking about things, and I repeat it, and then I turn out to be really bad. So I'm hoping a G is a really good thing. He says, Dad, oh, this guy is a G. And I mean, whatever a G is, I mean, this guy can fly a plane, and he can instruct, and you're total confident when you're sitting next to him. You're just totally confident when you're sitting next to him. He's letting me fly this plane, and they're doing stuff. To be able to sit next to a kid who's learning how to do it and let him do it is a, you've got to be a G, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, uh, so in the instrument, you know, uh, You're not looking out the window. You're looking at the instruments, and he's watching you, and there's different dynamics. Well, two things have happened in this plane as they were instructing in different times. Uh, One of them, ice started to form on the wings, and from what I understand, learning from Nicky, is that ice is deadly. It's very deadly to a plane. So you either got to get to an altitude, uh, either above or below, that can melt that ice as quickly as possible. So uh, this guy is seeing ice form on the windows, and Nicky doesn't see it yet because he's he's so focused on the instruments and this kind of thing, and he's just watching to see if Nick, and he just finally says to Nick, Nick, what I want you to do very calmly is just hand the controls over to me and just sit back because he's going to take it over. And he takes it over and, boom, gets him to a place because he noticed it. Nick didn't notice it. Then there was another time where Nick was on a 45-degree angle and didn't feel it. And the pilot is waiting to see if Nick will catch it in the instruments. If he'll see, if he's noticing his instruments right here in front of his face, we'll tell him that he's doing that, but he doesn't feel it. And he's waiting, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And he, waited and he waited as long as he could, and Nicky figured it out and pulled it back in. But that pilot is sitting right there with him to see if he'll do it. When you're in that plane, and the guy says, "Nick, I need you to sit back and hand me the controls." Is anybody in here going to go? You know what, I got this. I got this. So mom is hearing this story and goes, Nick, did you give him the controls right then? So that's mom. Okay? And so I'm kind of, I'm drawn into the story, and I'm like, yeah, tell me you didn't argue with him. Okay? Because he's a G. And when he's up, and we're up in the plane and the G tells you to give me the controls, you take him. That's the dynamic of the relationship you have to have with Jesus Christ if you're his disciple. Because everything depends on it. You don't argue with the G, you don't question his authority. And if you're questioning his authority, then you have some rational belief. It hasn't translated to an experience where you're actually doing life and he says, hand me the controls because you don't see something. Or he says, I'm just going to wait to see if he figures this out. I don't know if he's going to figure this out or not, but if he doesn't, I'm going to have to take this over. He's got, a, he's, got, he's got about an hour and then this is mine. But because he's sitting next to you and you know what you're supposed to be doing and you do it, you do what he says. That authoritative voice in your life. I'm going to tease out the dynamic of that relationship as part of this series. But for now, I just want to say to you that what I'm about to share with you about what etern- he... <laughs> this is basically was my point. <laughs> you, are right, you and I right now are sitting in a cockpit. And we're trying to fly the plane of eternal life. Trying to do the life Jesus has told us to live. How willing are you when you see what this means for your life? Are you willing to actually do it when you see it? Because I'm going to tell you the essential relationship of, of your discipleship is does Jesus have the authoritative voice in my life? And do I see that in the scripture? When Nick first started flying, and it, almost at every different level, he'd get sick, start to puke. And it was, it's a, we learned it's a fairly common experience when you're learning how to fly. It goes away. But I will tell you that for a, maybe for a seasoned disciple, he's used to hearing God's word and God's voice. And when God says to do something, he does it. But when you first start to really say, I'm going to do what God says you do, and you go up with God on the flight, you're going to get sick at first. What I'm going to tell you here, if you're not used to him being the authoritative voice in your life, is going to make you sick. Does everybody everybody got their little bag? I should have passed out bags. (laughs) Should have passed out little bags. So I'm clearly not going to get done today. But this is what I want to start off by saying. So... John says, fellowship with each other. We have a fellowship. There's a fellowship with us. So let's talk about that. Because here's what John is saying. Look around your life right now. Just, Just look at your life right now and ask yourself, what kind of fellowship do you have with people who believe what you believe? What does it look like? Okay, so you might start to feel things start to come up now, especially if you're one of these who says, you know, I'm not that relational, you know. I understand. I'm not, I'm not asking you to assess yourself. Based, I'm just asking you to, to say, here's what, the pot, here, here's what the G next to you is saying. What kind of relationship do you have with other believers. Because, according to John, it's the first sign of eternal life. We talk about the first signs of life. This is the first sign of eternal life. Is whatever this, whatever he's talking about here. Now his book, the rest of the five chapters tease it out a little. But there's some incredible things that go on here. Here's something else I think John's intending to say by that. Whatever the eternal life is, think about this. Whatever the eternal life is, it's experienced in connection with other people. Now this is profound and it flies right into the face of our culture, which says, no, I have my own private relationship with God. At no point in this does John even speak of a private relationship with God. He doesn't even speak of one. Cuz it's not only we relate to each other, which is his first priority. I mean, that's the first sign. I mean, if I'm going to look for eternal life in you, the first thing I'm going to do is going to go let me see your community. Let me see your 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 essential relational attachments. That's what he's asking. Because the eternal quality of life is first seen, felt, and experienced with other believers. If you don't have that dynamic at work, then John would say, you don't have eternal life operating in you. So that is a critical piece. You know, uh, I was thinking when I was uh, uh, meditating on this, you know, we say, misery loves company. So does eternity. Eternity loves company. So one of the... Whatever eternal... If you, had to, if you had to draw a shape of eternal life, be in the shape of community with other believers. Now, this has... Important and profound implications. Miroslav Volf, great writer, does a great job on the th- on this theme. Says this: because the Christian God is not a lonely God, you have God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God sends the Son here. We've talked about this before in our study of John 17, you know, a few months back. Because the Christian God is not a lonely God, but rather a communion of three persons, faith leads human beings into a divine communion. Faith leads people into a divine communion. One cannot, however, I love this, I love this. One cannot, however, have a self-enclosed communion with a triune God. So good. He calls it a foursome. A foursome, as it were. For the Christian God is not a private deity, Communion with this God is at once also communion with uh, those others who have entrusted themselves in faith to that same God. Hence, one and the same act of faith places a person into a new relationship both with God and with all others who stand in communion with God. This is so utterly important and profound. And here's what he's saying. If you come into a relationship with God, You automatically, you can't just, you can't just enter a a community by yourself. Okay, this is, you you can't enter a community by yourself. And then, or a community with God alone, because, because God has opened this up to a broader community. It's impossible to do that. If you come into community with God, you come into community with whatever he's in community with. That's what John is saying here. There is a fellowship. You you can't create your own union with God. Eternal life is a life that's given to you. It's It's not something you come in and dictate The circumstances. He's training you on eternal life, and he tells you, you can't do it without community. Are you going to argue with him? We're talking about ice on the wing here. (laughs) You're either going to make it or you're not going to make it. It either is eternal life or it isn't. What did John say? isn't. You don't have the sun, you don't have it. And so what he's saying is you're not building your own omelet here. That's not what you're doing. You're drawn into a larger life than your own. I mean, you're being ushered into ultimate reality. And not only that, what I think is even profound is even my own interaction with God is communal. It's not Solely private, although there is a private relationship I have with God. It's, it's, but it's more than that. It's not even just described as that. It's as a community, we relate to God. That's what he says in that text. Fellowship with us, indeed our fellowship is with the Father. Not mine. It's it's communal all the way through. You can't enter a community and not have community. And so the question becomes, how does that community get teased out in my life? What does it look like to have that in my life? And this definitely uh, flies into the mindset of our culture when it comes to spirituality. I think I've had at least three conversations in the last two weeks with people who don't attend Hillside, who would call themselves spiritual have no fellowship or community. They don't like organized religion. They don't like church. They got some reason to not like church. I have listened to some stories in the last few weeks. And so, what they say is, I have my own experience with God. This is what it sounds like I have my own experience with God. Listen, my faith is mine, your faith is yours. My relationship with God is private. These, this is the language of someone who's, who, got, who got sick in the plane. And they're barfing in the bag going, ah, that part I don't like. So you might get sick to your stomach over this. But it's still the G talking. And so, what what that? I think we can say something here, and it's 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 hard to hear. It might make you sick. If there's not a strong urge in you, if there's not a pressure, a burden to open up to this community and to others on this, on, talking about on a spiritual level, or to even invite others in, then you might be able to argue divine life is not coursing through your veins. Eternal life may not be in you. And like Lewis said, you're not developing the character of heaven. you might be able to say your spiritual life is dead. Because eternal life cannot be done in isolation. It's not like when you come to Christ and you get eternal life, it's not like saying, you know, I'm into jazz. You know, something you can enjoy and it's just yours personally and privately, that's your your thing. You can't do that with eternal life. You have been ushered into ultimate reality. It takes you over. And you instinctively know, listen, you instinctively know when God's communal life has been infused in you, that it's not just for you. And I'm going to just end Oh, Lord, am I way over here? Did anybody tell me? Nobody said a word. All right. Oh, you did? You, I'm going to end here. And I'm just going to say this, and then we bring out, bring out everybody that's supposed to come out. Because we're going to take communion here really fast. Uh, um, and, of course, we have more to tease out here. We're going to be in 1 John 1, 1 to 4 for a couple weeks. Um, you instinctively know it's not just for you. And that that happens at two levels. You can't have eternal life in a relationship with God and not want to tell other people who don't know Him and include them in. How could that possibly be? I I can't give you the details of this. I had a conversation with a guy yesterday. Could hardly... I mean, I could hardly function afterwards because it was just a uh, off the cuff. Didn't expect it. i having a horrible year. Best moment of my day is when I come to see you guys here at the gym. And immediately, immediately, it's like, oh, you got you to gotta know this God you got to know this, God. So let's open some doors. But not just there, but with each other, here. And, of course, I didn't get to the practical application of it today like I wanted to, but I'm going to have to next week. I'm going to tease out. What does that community life, should that look like in my life? And we're about to take communion, and communion is the, is the, is the picture. And here's the picture. C- communion is I'm going to take God's life into me, Am I going to hoard it or is it going to naturally come out of me for others? Because that is how it works. And so as you get up now, because you're going to get up and you're going to walk around and you're going to grab communion, then you're just going to sort of come this way We're going to, and we'll take it together pretty quick here. Um, as you're doing that, just think to yourself, ask the question. What kind of relationship do I have with with a Christian community that he's describing? Is my heart even open to it? Did I get sick this morning in the plane? Did I? Because you're about to take communion, which is the sign of, of our community. Because you can't know him and not connect deeply to others, even though connecting deeply to others is a mess. And I'm going to talk about the mess next week. All right, that's how you need to approach this table. You go to that table and you say, can I honestly take this in and then not be open to hear what community looks like and be willing? And I would say, your heart, if you cannot say to yourself right now, I'm open to whatever community looks like in the scriptures, I wouldn't touch that meal. I wouldn't touch it. All right, let's stand to our feet. Father, be with us as we go to the table. And let us be thinking about the things that you tell us to think about. And not private thoughts. We are his portion and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all safe.